0: Hello and welcome, UVA Speaks is a podcast of Lifetime Learning, a division of the Office of Engagement at the University of Virginia. Lifetime Learning brings the knowledge and expertise of UVA's faculty to the university's alumni, friends and families. My name is Susan Lynch and I am the Associate Director of Lifetime Learning at the University of Virginia's Office of Engagement. This podcast features Carrie Heilman, who is the William Stamps Farish Associate Professor of Commerce in the McIntyre School of Commerce at the University of Virginia. She teaches courses in brand management and strategic brand consulting and communication at the undergraduate and graduate levels. Alman's research interests include modeling consumer choice and brand loyalty in frequently purchased consumer goods categories, customer relation management, retail loyalty programs and strategies, and the impact of consumer promotions, especially in store promotions on consumer behavior. Hellman um, also serves as the faculty athletics representative to the NCAA and the ACC for the University of Virginia in this podcast. Professor Hellman will talk with us about what it means to be the faculty athletics representative, representing UVA and the student athletes athletes in the athletic conferences and here at UVA. So thank you, Professor, for speaking with me today.
1: Well, thank you for having me, um, Susan. And I'm just excited to talk about some things today that I'm really passionate
0: about. Great, thank you. So first, can you explain the role of the faculty athletics representative to the athletics conferences of the NCAA and the ACC and then here at EVA, and then what drew drew you to that role?
1: Sure. Um, So I get this question often because I find that most people don't know that the faculty athletic rep role exists let alone what we do um, and let me also preface that I'll use this acronym far the far sometimes faculty athletic rep because that's kind of the industry term and it's less of a mouthful um, but I'll start off by saying that every division one through division three institution has a faculty athletic rep or a far um, each institution only has one but everyone is required to have one and I like to kind of break down our my responsibility into external and internal, Responsibility. So, externally, um, my job is really to represent UVA, our values, um, and just our approach to academics, both to the ACC and the NCAA. Um, I get involved with discussions about matters affecting certainly the future of our conference, the Athletic Coast Conference, um, as well as legislation that's going to shape um, the future of college athletics. Um, So, for example, I get to attend the ACC conferences, which happen about four or five times a year. Um, along with, say, our athletic director and some other senior administrators. Um, sometimes the for one conference in particular, um, the head football coaches and basketball coaches will be there. Um, and as of far, we're kind of expected to weigh in on topics um, mostly related to academics, student-athlete well-being, um, and Title IX. Um, so most of the time, we stay in our lane, as we joke about. Um, we try to avoid... Um, maybe weighing in on things like, you know, how far should the three point line be from the basket? Um, but um, we certainly, you know, we might weigh in, for example, on topics related to travel schedules because, um, you know, that would affect how much class time student athletes would miss. Um, but obviously, I think it's very important, I think most would agree that a faculty member be involved in these discussions, um, and especially ones that affect kind of the student portion of, of the student athlete experience. Um I would say internally then that's the other part of my role, you know, how what goes on um at UDA. Um the way I describe that is I kind of sit in the middle of the president's office, the athletic department, um the faculty and the student athlete. So um I report to President Ryan. Um I do not report to the athletic department or the AD. I think that's important to note. Um, and I, one of my jobs is just to make sure he's informed about issues related to college athletics or U, the UVA athletic department. Um, but I will say um, he is so well informed. I couldn't, you know, work with a more informed and dedicated um, president. So um, that, that part is actually pretty easy and, and maybe not as, you know, easier than some of my counterparts of their schools. Um, but then, as far as kind of the intersection between the athletic department, the student athletes, and the faculty, Um, I do a variety of things. And the interesting thing is the FAR role is is different at every school. It's it's kind of what you make of it or what your school deems as important. Um, So I do things, for example, um, like um, conducting student-athlete exit interviews. Um, I certainly weigh in on matters that have to do with academic integrity. Um, Sometimes I'll be called in to get involved with um, communications between the athletic department and the faculty when it involves a student-athlete. Um, and where there might be a conflict of interest of, of the athletic department or personnel to speak with faculty. Um, I work very closely with our academic support team um, in athletics as well as the compliance team. And then I guess the last thing I'd say is really, I mean, the thing that I enjoy most is just interacting with the student athletes um, and advocating on their behalf. Um, So one thing I do, and again, as far as other schools may not do this, but I attend as many um, SAC meetings as I can. That stands for Student Athlete Advisory Council. Um, This is a group of student athletes at the university who have dedicated time for them to kind of weigh in on um, what's important to the student athletes at UVA in general, try to shape the experience here as well as really shape um, things going on at the ACC and at the national level. Um, So that's a little bit of what I do um, in a nutshell. Um, I guess to answer your second part of the question, what drew me to the role? um, I didn't mention this yet, but I myself um, am a former student-athlete. I grew up playing every sport I could, um, but really focused on basketball, softball, and volleyball. Um, I went on to be a Division I college basketball player myself. Um, So I really understand the challenges of being a student-athlete. I appreciate the rewards and the opportunities that it affords And I also really just appreciate the wonderful things that sport do for for young people and it did for me and really shaped me. Um, so I just feel like it's a great opportunity for me as a, as a professor, um, to be able to get my foot back in the world of, of, of athletics and really just to give back to the student athletes at UVA, um, in a way that, you know, helps their their experience, um, be positive, just like it was for me. Um, the last kind of fun fact that I'll share. Um, a little shout out to my dad. <laughs> <laughs> um, my dad was actually the faculty athletic rep um, at Loyola University of Chicago, um, where I grew up for about 10 years or maybe longer. I should have asked him. Um, so like I circling back to the start of what I said, you know, most people don't even know what that role is. Um, so when the posting came up at UDA that they were looking to replace um, Carolyn Callahan, who had served in the role for about 20 years. Um, I would venture to guess that most people didn't have any idea what that was. I I did have a little sense of what it was and and knew it was a great opportunity. So um, I definitely jumped at the chance and was just grateful that uh, the university, the president's office and those that interviewed me um, gave me that chance because it's it's been an awesome experience so far.
0: That's great. Yes. My sister graduated from Loyola. So shout out to Loyola. (laughs) The one in Chicago? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, so thank you so much for that background. Um, and you know, uh, academics is obviously such an important thing here at UVA. So um, it's important to have this kind of representation. So it's my understanding that there has been new legislation that makes it easier for student athletes to transfer schools. Um, can you tell us about that legislation and the implications for that for the student athletes?
1: Absolutely. Um, And if you, you know, you follow college athletics, um, you've probably heard a lot about some of these changes. Um, And there's been a number of them and and many of them have um, certainly, the spirit of them have been able to give student athletes more freedom and opportunity. um, And they definitely have. Um, But as I'll talk a little bit about um, these changes, I mean, some of them have come with some unintended consequences. Um, So the first was, you probably heard about this, the introduction of the NCAA transfer portal. Um, So that portal was introduced in 2018. And basically, it's just a database um, or compliance tool that is used to kind of facilitate the process um, when student-athletes are looking to transfer transfer institutions. Um, So once a student-athlete enters the portal, um, coaches are able then to contact them about their interest in switching schools. Um, and the process, the intention of the, the portal, I think, was to give transparency to the process, um, but also to give student-athletes kind of this platform and greater opportunity for them to kind of signal that they wanted to to kind of find a, a right school for them, and, and they were interested in leaving. Um, so, again, like, I'm all for, um, you know, greater opportunity for student-athletes, and I think most people are. Um, but as I said, there's, um, now that we're into this about four or five years, there are some concerns or unintended consequences um, that we're trying to figure out. Um, so the first of those I think is worth mentioning that I think a lot of student athletes don't always think about um, what's going to happen if I go into the portal and, and someone doesn't pick me up. Um, they definitely have the option to stay at their current school if they want. Um, but if you think about at that point, now they're returning to um, a team and a set of coaches and a teammates um, with whom they just kind of signaled that they weren't happy with that situation. So that's you know certainly not ideal um, and maybe awkward at best um the coach the other downside is the coach has the option to dismiss them from the roster once they enter the portal um and even to cut their financial aid athletic financial aid I should preface um I think that's starting in the semester after they would enter have entered the portal so I mean that can be really detrimental to a student athlete um, regardless you know if, if they decide that they you know, want to stay. So, so those are some obviously bad outcomes. Um, I will say, fortunately, my experience has uh, a knowledge of what's going on here at UDA um, suggests that you know this is not happening here. We're very fortunate; um, it rarely happens because our athletic department does a really good job of um, of educating our student athletes about the process, about some of these potential consequences. Uh, We also strongly recommend that student-athletes, or I should say our compliance department does, because they're kind of the ones coaching the students. Um, They highly recommend that these student-athletes go and talk to their coaches before entering the portal. Um, But having said that, again, the data suggests that, you know, other student-athletes may not be as lucky, and some of these outcomes are are pretty startling. So I looked up some some data and some stats, um, because there's lots of information out there. Um, I'll just give you one example. So in 2022, so last year, um, 8,500 football student athletes entered the portal um, and only 54% reported being signed by another school, which means that over 4,000 football players, right? 4,000 football players um, may have lost their scholarship, the ability to play football, um, or even the opportunity to, to earn a college degree. Um, we don't, the portal doesn't really, we don't know what happens to them. Um, they might've remained at their school. They might've dropped out of football. Um, but some of these outcomes are, are not ideal and this is happening in other sports. There's thousands and thousands of student athletes left in the portal each year. Um, so that's, that's one issue. Um, are we, are we giving them, you know, the, the best outcome by giving them the opportunity to, to, to transfer um, and certainly the NCAA has really tried to boost the educational efforts for student athletes who are thinking about entering the portal. Um, I would say the other change that people hear about, or actually these, this is probably a little bit less known, um, is some of the eligibility rules um, with regards to student athlete transfer. So um, let's see, prior, prior to 2021, um, students, all students could uh, exercise what's called the one-time transfer rule. I'm sorry, the one-time transfer exception, um, which meant they could be immediately eligible when they transferred. And this was true for all student athletes, except football, men's basketball, and women's basketball. Um, They would actually have to sit out about a year. Um, So then, but then starting in 2021, um, this one-time transfer exception was granted to all student athletes in those three sports. So that was a legislative change. Um, And as you can imagine, this change along with the transfer portal um, has just increased dramatically the number of, of transfers. So more data for you um, that i pulled up. Um, so let's see, in 2020-21, um, 28,000 student athletes entered the portal. The next year, 35,000. Um, and then just last year, 40,000 student athletes entered. So that was a 30% increase um, two years. Yeah, it's, it's remarkable.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, So more freedom for student athletes, that's great. Um, But what are the unintended consequences? So the NCAA has shared data and reports that, um, well, first of all, I guess some of these academic outcomes of these student athletes who transfer aren't as strong and as positive as those that remain um, at their schools. And again, I would say we don't see that at UVA. I mean, I wanna put a shout out for our our athletic department. Um, We have academic support um, staff that's excellent. Um, And the data suggests that for our transfer, the students who transfer into UVA, um, they boast similar graduation rates and GPAs of those who've been here for four years. Um, But again, some of these academic outcomes as a starting point might not be as as, um, promising for other students. I guess just to kind of close this, you know, the transfer portal plus the new rules, you know, it's given student athletes more freedom, um, and and a lot of these rules have been um, in the spirit of giving them similar um, similar uh, privileges that that other students have. Um, but again, you know, and when I say other students, I mean all college students. Um, but again, for some of these student athletes some of these outcomes may not be as rosy. So it's complicated. Um, yeah. It's more complicated than I think people think. Um, yeah. But it's not going away, for sure. And uh, I think we'll just be continuing to talk about it for, for a while.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I really did not know that there were that many transfers happening. Um, oh, yeah. And obviously at UVA, the concern for graduation rates are so important. Um, and so I'm glad to hear that, you know, here, it's not it's not really impacting that as yeah. much and that there's a lot of effort, a lot of effort taken to make that happen.
1: Yeah. And I would say even for our student-athletes um, who are looking to transfer away from UVA, um, you know, the athletic department um, always has the best interest of the student-athlete in mind here at UVA. Um, so we don't, we don't want bad outcomes, whether it be for student-athletes transferring here or our student-athletes who are leaving. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the general concern is, is there regardless of whether, it's an incoming student um, or one that's outgoing.
0: Right. Thank you. Thank you for that. And another issue that has been talked about a lot is uh, new rules governing the names, images and likeness of student athletes You know that allow students to make money during their college careers. Um, can you explain a bit about this ruling and what that means for UVA student athletes?
1: Sure. Um, so let's talk, you say, let's talk NIL. So yeah. that's the acronym. Um, Nate, when you hear NIL, that's name, image, and likeness. Um, so a little bit about what that rule change meant or has meant. Um, so the new rule, um, the new NCAA rule went to effect um, July, July 2021. Um, so about two years ago. And basically it gave student athletes um, the ability to profit from the use of their name, image, or likeness, NIL. Um, and, and this is important to note without giving up their amateur status. So, um, you know, I think in all of these, these changes, um, we always have to remember that these are amateur student athletes, they're college amateur student athletes. So, um, but this is great, you know, again, this is another one of those examples where it kind of brought student athletes to the same level playing field. Don't mind the pun, uh, they're of, of all college students. So they're able to do things now that the regular college student could do. Um, So, for example, before the rule change, um, if a student athlete wanted to launch a business, like a regular student could, um, they actually couldn't use their name. Um, They couldn't mention they were a student athlete at UVA um, in any of their marketing or advertising. Um, Similarly, they couldn't get paid to do things like sign autographs, endorse brands, make appearances. Um, But now with the rule change, they can. Um, and so, of course, this is great on paper, and it definitely is, um, but again, like most things, there have been some unintended consequences, and, and maybe concerns is, is a better a better term. Um, and so, some of those have been. So, um, first of all, um, you may have heard reports in the news, or if nothing else, rumors, um, that other institutions are using these NIL deals as a recruiting tool. Um, and so the way that would work is, you know, maybe a student athlete being recruited by a university would be told, hey, if you come here, um, we'll hook you up with these these good deals. Um, and that is completely impermissible by the NCAA rule. That is a violation. Um, and certainly was never the intention of the rule change. Um, similarly, you might hear reports or rumors um, about student athletes at other institutions being, um, quote, paid above market value for their services. and. This too is against rules, but it's kind of hard to um, to enforce because who's to say what a student athlete's value is? You know, that's kind of hard to define. Um, so I'll give an example. Um, if a student athlete were to, say, be given the opportunity to, be given, uh, paid, I don't know, I'll throw a number out there, $20, $25,000 to just show up at a, a local car dealership um, and sign autographs for a half hour. Um, some people may say, well, That's not worth it. But, you know, is that fair market value for that student athlete Um, or or um, is that some booster, you know, funding the appearance as an inducement for the student athlete to remain at the school, which basically gets us into this uh, space that's called pay for play. Um, And again, it's completely impermissible um, and a violation. Um, so those are the concerns there. And again, if you're if you're reading the news, you you hear about these things going on at at other schools. Um, I will say though, you know, most student athletes um, are making money in permissible ways, and so that's that's the positive. Um, the Asian thing is the most common that we're seeing from what I understand is just them simply posting on social media um, to try to boost their followers. and then they'll get approached and paid by, um, endorse uh, brands who want them to endorse their brands um, for their follower group. Um, and that is pretty straightforward, but of course, there's always going to be naysayers who say, mm, is this, you know, is this the best thing? So, you know, people talk about, okay, you know, how much money are they really making for the time that they're spending on their social media doing this? Um, and would that be better spent focusing on say academics or their sports? Um, and at the end of the day, you know, trying to, Earn a college degree, which is ultimately for most of them, um, you know, why they're, why they're at the university. Um, on the flip side, people will argue, well, this is great for them. Um, now they're getting to learn about things like how to run a business, how to build their brand. Um, and, you know, that's a valid experience too. So again, I think there's, you know, two sides to every argument. Um, but to me, for me, and, and I think a lot of people, I think that the bigger concern is that, again, if you circle back to this idea that they're amateur athletes, Um, some of the student athletes who have some of these big opportunities to have big deals, um, that's a lot of pressure for these, these students and, um, you know, now their market value is based on how they perform in the football game on Saturday. Um, and, and so now instead of walking the field and kind of enjoy the experience, granted they're able to make money, but there's a lot of pressure. Um, and, and again, these are just young people, um, going to college, um, and, and not necessarily most of them looking to, to be professional. So. It's complicated, (laughs) Um, and I would say so. An interesting thing. So we talked about transfer rules changes, NIL. There's other things going on, and um, I I hear this expression used quite a bit, like the wild wild west that we're now in with college athletics because you know we don't know where we are and we don't know where we're going. Um, But I would love to you know also again put in a plug for our athletic department and um, you know Carla Williams, our athletic director, and her staff. could not be more knowledgeable, could not be more engaged. And and I said this before, I mean, they have the student-athletes well-being always at the forefront of every decision that they make. And um, the other benefit is Carla Williams has served on a lot of committees, NCAA committees on these topics, Um, and so she's extremely knowledgeable and and, and really um, having impact not only on, you know, what happens here at UVA, but also the direction that the NCAA and college athletics are going to go in. Um, we're just extremely fortunate for that for that reason, if nothing else.
0: That's great. Glad to hear that. Um, and finally, as I mentioned, you're a professor at the McIntyre School of Commerce, and um, I know that you teach a course called Promotions. And as a part of your class, your students compete in the National Student Advertising Competition. Can you tell us about that competition and your students? Absolutely. Um,
1: that's what I do. The other part of my job, that, or actually, maybe that's, right. that's my real job, right. my job. Um, whereas the far is my night job. Um, but I, I love te- I love talking about this, class. I love teaching this class um, because it just brings me a lot of joy. Um, and even though it's a lot of work, it's it's extremely gratifying. And and I'll tell you a little bit about why. So um, a little bit about the promotions class. I do give this spiel all the time because I'm always quote pro- promoting the promotions class. Um, so it's a two-semester capstone. Um, I like to say it's an experience because it is an experience. Um, it's offered to just fourth years um, at the university, um, and it centers around the national, as you said, the National Student Advertising Competition, which is this annual competition um, that attracts over 150 schools um, across the nation each year. And I always tell my students that, despite when I'm, especially when I'm advertising it, um, that despite being an advertising competition. Um, It will teach them um, topics that that go far beyond advertising. So, um, the students gain skills in marketing strategy, marketing research, branding, media. Um, And I would say more of my students go into areas like consulting and and marketing analytics than they go into advertising. So, so it really casts a wide net in terms of what it teaches the students um, and the type of student that it it attracts. So the way the competition works is, um, it's run by the American Advertising Federation. Um, And each year, the AAF, that's the acronym, um, they secure a national client or national sponsor. Um, In past years, there's been some amazing brands um, that you'll recognize, brands like Pizza Hut, Snapple, um, Adobe, Nissan. Um, The competition's been around for for many decades, so a lot of well-known brands. Um, we just recently learned that our client for um, this year is going to be Tide, Tide, the laundry detergent. Mm-hmm. So, um, <laughs> get ready. <laughs> we, don't, we, don't know, we don't know who our target market is going to be, but I do find that um, the first line of defense is the students will go out and start um, researching people in, in their community. And oftentimes UVA is the easiest to tap into to start start asking people about, you know, in this case, how do you do your laundry? Um. So, I don't know,
0: are you a Tide user? <laughs> <laughs> no, but perhaps I should change it. <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm mean, using I, I Tide now, so um, just better understand the brand. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, the the clients um, will write. In this case, Tide will they'll write a case, and um, and all the schools around the country country work on it. Um, The competition, I guess, officially starts. I mean, we work on it all year, but the competition kind of officially kicks off. Um, with uh, what's called the district competition, where each school submits a plan, it's called a plans book, but it's basically a report that outlines our research, um, our strategy, and our kind of creative recommendations um, to the clients. And then we head to districts in April, um, where we give a 20-minute presentation with a 15-minute Q&A to a panel of judges that that, uh, oftentimes has a, a client representative on it. So in this case, again, tied. Um, from there, the winners of each uh, district go to semifinals, and that happens in May. Um, and then the top eight schools of those 18 then go on to nationals in June. Um, and that's kind of a, an interesting situation because um, we have made it to national a handful of time. I'll talk about that in a second. But, um, but you know, all these students are fourth year, so they've all graduated. And so when we get to do that, it really is this kind of like bow on the top of the, the present that um, they get to kind of finish out their... Their um their college career doing something fun like that mm-hmm. um I was like yeah I'm gonna talk a little bit about just like the history of the class um I took it over in 2013 um and I took it over from a really good friend and colleague um a colleague who hired me his name was Jacqueline Grin. Um, and the reason I mentioned Jack's name is because I wonder if some people listening to this might have had Jack, um, might have known known him um, and certainly remembered him. Um, he is an absolute rock star. <laughs> um, and for people that know him, he was like larger than life. Um, not only did he develop this class uh, back in the late 70s and maybe early 80s, um, but he was the most successful faculty advisor in the competition. Um, when I took over, um, and he was also extremely loved and beloved by his students. Um, and he adored them as well. And so I say that only because I had huge, huge shoes to fill. Um, and that was kind of daunting. Um, but you know, Jack was great. He always acted as a sounding board for me. And, um, even today I joke about this, um, cause I still keep in touch with his kids. Um, you know, when I, I'm, I'm trying to decide how to manage the class, I think to myself, what would Jack do? Mm-hmm. Um, So his presence is still definitely definitely felt. But the other day, I just, I love teaching this class. I am, this kind of goes back to, you know, I feel so fortunate to be in the FAR role. I get to interact with outstanding student athletes. I feel the same way with this class. Um, I get to work with such motivated students. Um, I think the success of the program, um, and again, I haven't mentioned that yet. I will. Um, I think the success of the program really attracts the best of the best from across grounds. Um, And I didn't mention this, they have to apply to the class. So we get about 80 applications each year for uh, 30 spots. And on top of that, we reserve six to eight, sometimes 10 um, seats for students outside the comm school. So um, that's another perk is I love working with students um, outside the comm school as well as those in the comm school. Um, But I keep talking about the success, right? So When I think about the success that these students have had in the competition over the past decade or so, um, it is absolutely incredible. So I'll read some of these things off. So um, three national championships, uh, 2016, 2020, 2021. Those last two were during COVID, which is even more remarkable to me. Now, I don't even want to get into that. <laughs>
0: right? Yeah, that's a whole another conversation. I'm sure. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I mean, a completely hands-on experience. So to have to do it um, at least in 2021, some of it on you know on Zoom was was pretty crazy. I actually was very committed um, to trying to get the students in a safe manner, but as much you know, face-to-face, six six feet distance, of course, right. so, <laughs> face-to-face um, interaction possible. Um, so three national championships, um, second place in 2018, third place in 2013. So, I mean, this is just unprecedented. Um, most schools don't win a national championship. They sometimes don't even, you know, make it to nationals, let alone kind of get out of the districts. Um, so these students are amazing. And and I just would love to put in a plug for, you know, even in the years where we didn't get to nationals. I mean, those students are equally amazing and their campaigns were amazing. Um, they just dedicate so much time to this and they make they make a lot of sacrifices. Um but I will say um most of them at the end of it say that it is the most valuable academic experience of their time, at UVA if not the best experience of their time at UVA, um which is you know just warms my heart. <laughs> um, and I think I will say uh, I think a big part of that is just the friendships that they make too. I mean they learn a ton but they make great friends. Um, and and I too get to to know them really well so You know, that's extremely gratifying. Um, I guess the last thing I'll say, Mm -hmm. how do I round this all out? So a good storyteller always kind of like goes back to (laughs) started. Um, The thing that I love about um, this class and this draws back to kind of my athletic uh, role and experiences is, um, you know, it centers around a competition. And so not only does that motivate the students, but it kind of puts me in the role of a coach. Um, which I always say the first day, I'm as much um, um, a coach and a mentor as I am your professor, um, and so it's kind of allowed me to flex my competitive juices again, um, albeit you know in an academic setting. Um, so I guess as a former student athlete, I love that. I love to compete, um, but I guess as a mom of four with a full time job, I don't get to to do that very often. I, I would love to play tennis, um, but I just can't find the hours in the day. Um, so I guess this class is probably the closest. Thing I get to do to be competitive, um, and and I always joke that um, even if it's in an academic setting, that might be a good thing because um, I, you know, it's, it's it's good for my aging body. Um, <laughs> I don't think I can get hurt in the classroom. Knock on wood. Um, um, nice. Be the case if I went mm-hmm. back out of basketball court or tennis court. But um, hopefully, you can sense just how much I love. I absolutely love teaching this class, and and I love being the the far. Um, I'm very very fortunate.
0: Well, thank you so much, uh, Professor Heilman, for sharing all of this information, you know, about your very unique role um, as far with here at UVA and representing students in the university. It's also very interesting to hear about your teaching at McIntyre. So thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and expertise with UVA's alumni, friends, and families. Thanks so much. Great.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Susan. Have a great afternoon.
0: Great. Thank you. And thank you all for listening for our upcoming podcasts and other lifetime learning programming, recordings and blogs. Please visit our website at engagement.virginia.edu forward slash learn. You can also find our podcast under the Virginia Audio Collective, which is a network of UVA podcasts hosted by WTJU Radio and can be found at virginiaaudio.org. So thanks again. And we look forward to you taking part in future lifetime learning programs.